Welcome friends to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Church here in Inverell. My name's Matt and it's great that you're choosing to tune in with us. This ministry has been prepared for the 13th of March 2022. Friends, our sentence of scripture for today comes from Psalm 27. My heart says to the Lord, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Uh, friends, it is the Lord's face we long to see. Uh, let's pray. God, our Father, help us to hear your Son. Enlighten us with your word that we might find the way to your glory. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, we now go to a time of praise. Friends, we come now to the ministry of God's Word. And so do grab your Bibles and read these passages through for yourself. Uh, our Old Testament reading is from Genesis 15, verses 5 to 18. 
Our psalm for today is Psalm 27. And our New Testament reading, uh, that'll be our passage for today, is from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. Friends, take a moment and read those for yourselves now. Well, friends, as we come to hear God speak to us now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word here in Luke 9, please soften our hearts, work in us by your spirit, speak to us, change us so that we might see your glory. Amen. Well, we like to know what's happening behind the scenes, don't we? Uh, if you're buying a desk uh, for your office, you want to know is that wood look you see through the shop front window or through the picture online, is it actually oak or is it a veneer? Is there chipboard underneath? We want to know what it's made of, if it looks good. We want to know what we can't see. Now sometimes we get a nice surprise. Pop the bonnet of that old rusty uh, chop top ute and you see it's got a nice new Chevy B block in it. That's a surprise. You go, oh yeah, I'm glad I took a peek under the bonnet of this one. Or perhaps uh, you're buying a house. Uh, maybe you've been looking through houses and you see one that's, well, it looks pretty ordinary on the outside, nothing special. But you take a look inside or, or you look through the photos of the real estate and you see that, wow, this is actually something. It's been newly renovated. It's got really nice finishes. It's just that they haven't actually done the cladding on the outside. And it's a nice surprise. We often don't get the true picture unless we do look behind the curtains, so to speak. Now, sometimes when we do, we're a little disappointed, like a chipboard table. Uh, but sometimes, well, sometimes we're blown away by what we find. Now, you may be here today uh, just trying to work out who Jesus is. Now, if that's the case, great. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I already know who Jesus is. Either way, come for a walk with me through Luke chapter 9 as we get to peek behind the curtains of the true nature of Jesus. Now this section, it comes at a time in Jesus' ministry where people are asking, who is this guy? And just before our section, Luke, him, uh, Jesus himself asks his followers, who do you think I am? Or we can read there, just before this, of Peter's great confession of Jesus. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the chosen saviour of Israel. And he's right. And so Jesus tells him then that he's going to go and suffer and die on a cross. And yet then he'll be brought back to life. After which he'll go up to the Father and he'll come back one day in all his glory. The glory of the Father. The glory of God. And that's where our passage picks up now. And these two passages, they're linked together. They're linked together by a question that so many people ask. Maybe you yourself have had a go at answering. When it comes down to it, who is Jesus, really? Well, as you peel away at my office desk, you see it's not oak. It's just chipboard. But as you peel away at Jesus, what reality do we see then? Well, as we get into our passage now, uh, the first thing that we need to do is to see Jesus' glory in fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, have a look at verse 28 with me and read along. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. All right, nothing unusual going on here. Pretty typical. Jesus goes on a mountain. He's talking to God. Keep going. Verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face 
changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Right now, here's something unusual going on and it all feels a bit weird, a bit supernatural. And we might not know what to, what to make of this. But if you were Jewish, like the disciples, uh, this whole scene should have a sort of deja, deja vu kind of feeling to it. Right? Recalling these echoes of Moses up on Mount Sinai with God. He, he was there about 1500 years earlier. You can go and have a look. Exodus 24 and 34. Moses goes up the mountain to meet God. And God speaks with him. Moses' face becomes radiant, so much so that when he goes down the mountain, he has to put a covering, a cloth, over his face because the Israelites, it's too radiant for them to look at. Like then, this is starting to feel like a presence of God moment, like on the mountain in Sinai. But that's not the only strange thing that happens, is it? Keep reading, verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What are we to make of this? I wonder what you think's going on here. Well, Moses and Elijah, these are two prominent Old Testament figures. Elijah was alive about 800 years before Jesus. Moses, about 1500 years before but why are these two particular guys? Why here? Why now? Well, you might say, what's the connection they have? Maybe, I mean, both have a connection with Mount Sinai. Perhaps if you read their stories, you might say that both left this world in a, in a strange kind of way, in an unusual way. But there is one instance in the Old Testament where these two guys, Moses and Elijah, where their names appear side by side. And it's no coincidence that it lands in the last three verses of our English Old Testaments. So I want you to do that. I want you to turn there now. Let's have a look. Malachi chapter 4. I've got my Bible. Here we are. Luke 9. Going back before Matthew. Oh, get to Zechariah. Gone too far. Here we are. Malachi chapter 4. The last three verses. Now, Malachi 4, it's basically a call to be alert because the day of the Lord is coming, a day when God himself will turn up. And now God says through this guy, the prophet Malachi, from verse 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, that's Sinai, for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Well, there's a call to remember Moses and to look to Elijah as a precursor to the day of the Lord, a day when God will turn up and deliver justice. Well, what's the expectation well, for Moses? Now, Casting back to Deuteronomy again, like last week, this time in chapter 18, verse 15, you see it on your outline, the, the reference, you can look it up. There, uh, Moses said that God would eventually raise up an end times, once for all prophet, someone to speak the very words of God. And whoever doesn't listen to this, this one, this prophet, they'll be held to account. Uh, the words of Moses, they look forward to a final end times prophet. And now here in Malachi, 
the anticipation for Elijah to turn up and prepare the way for the, the Lord is there also, both together. Now, uh, there was an actual Elijah figure to prepare the way. Uh, three of the gospel writers, including Luke, say that this was John the Baptist. He went out in the way of Elijah to prepare the people for the Lord's coming. And so we see now these two great figures, Moses and Elijah. They're mentioned together in scripture alongside Jesus in Malachi 4, uh, alongside each other in Malachi 4. And I don't think there's any coincidence that here they are alongside Jesus now here in Luke 9. As if God is again saying, get ready for the fulfillment of this great promise. Get ready for the day of the Lord. But what are Moses and Elijah doing? When they're standing there with Jesus. Well, verse 31. They spoke with Jesus about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, the original language, it literally says they spoke about his exodus. All right. Does that ring bells? All right. The exodus is in the Old Testament. It's where Moses, in the power of God, led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, to be a free people, to be their own nation under God. And it was, the, it was the foundational episode of Israel's history. And here, in Luke 9, we're told that there's going to be another exodus, but this time in Jerusalem with Jesus. Now, Jesus told his disciples already in verse 22 that he is on his way to suffer, to be rejected, to die before rising to life. And now here in verse 31 we're told that this will be a new exodus. It'll be the moment of fulfillment of all of salvation history that both Moses and Elijah and all of God's people, in fact, looked forward to from the Old Testament. Now, friends, listen to this from the last chapter in Luke's gospel. Jesus says this to his disciples after he's risen to life again. He says, chapter 24, verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of everything that Moses and Elijah's lives represented. Everything in the Old Testament, he says it looks forward to him. Not just for Israel, though, but for people of all the world. And just as the Israelites were redeemed out of slavery in Egypt, so now comes an event where Jesus will redeem all people from the power of sin and its consequences. Well, friends, the Christian message, it isn't a message of one small lie about one man who, that was spread by a few of his followers. It's the culmination of what God has been doing throughout all of history. To see Jesus in his full light is to see him in his glory. We need not just to read our New Testaments. We need, I mean, our vision, our picture of Jesus will become so much bigger, so much more vibrant as we read all of the scriptures. Now, you may not be sure of what to do with some of the parts of the Old Testament you read. Friends, I want to encourage you to read all of God's word. Read all of it as it points forward to him as it gives us that more, that full, vibrant picture of Jesus. Because without it, our view of him will be limited. 
What's the relationship between the Old and New Testaments? Promise and fulfillment. Now, as we approach the climax of this fulfillment in Luke's gospel, we have this supernatural scene laid out before, before us and the three disciples of Jesus to help them and us see the glory of Jesus in light of the Old Testament promises and expectations. And so with all this going on in front of the disciples, you'd think these guys would be hyped, right? They'd be pumped. They'd be thinking, yes, wow, look at this. Is that what they do? No, no, they don't. It says that they're dozing, that they're sleepy, probably even actually having fallen asleep. And from the exchange that happens next, we see that what seems they've completely missed the true full glory of Jesus. It's lost on them. And so as we keep moving through now, we need to see the unique glory of Jesus and not miss it like the disciples. All right. You need to see the unique glory of Jesus. So we read on from verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Why were the disciples sleepy? I don't know. We're not told. Uh, we know that it's not the last time they fall asleep on him either, is it? But when they wake themselves up, what do they see? They see Jesus' glory. Now, when Moses uh, was on Mount Sinai, again, his face reflected the glory of God. Now, it's not just Jesus' face, but his complete appearance face, clothes and all, it's radiating out this glory like a constant streak of lightning that hangs in the sky. Imagine what you would have seen if you were Peter standing there. Now someone in my Bible study group during the week asked, why at the start are Moses and Elijah, why are they also described as having a glorious splendor? Well, maybe it's because of their prominent position in salvation history. Uh, Maybe it's because they've just come from the presence of God themselves. Whatever the case, the way Luke describes what the disciples see, their splendor is nothing compared to Jesus. Whose glory did they see, the disciples? His glory. And so we say, yes, here we go. They're getting it. They finally get it. Verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus... Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. And we say, yes, yes, it is. What a great thing to be in the presence of. What a great thing to have God revealed to you. We keep reading. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke tells us he did not know what he was saying. He sees three of them, and he wants to honor them all equally. And no doubt that he understands something really important is going on right here in front of him. Maybe he's even uh, recalling the words of Malachi chapter four that we looked at. He's going, putting two and two or three together and going, aha, here we go. Kingdom of God time. But he misses the point, doesn't he? He misses the unique glory of Jesus. Now, when I was living in Sydney, I met a man who uh, who had a Hindu faith. 
And along the way of our conversation, I asked him, what do you think of Jesus? And so he told me, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's a, a wise, holy teacher. And he's one of the divine gods that I believe in. I mean, many people uh, think Jesus has some value, but they don't see his unique glory. They don't see his unique position. Uh, Islam, Mormonism, they want to lump Jesus in with all the other prophets of the Old Testament. Not unlike Peter here, actually. And then they want to bring in other new prophets on top, like Muhammad or Joseph Smith, and say, yes, all together, all people who reveal God. Now, some people like to hedge their bets and say, I'll have, I'll have Jesus, but I'll also have a little bit of this on top. Maybe I'll have Jesus and a bit of yoga to connect me spiritually. Or I'll have Jesus and a bit of good works as well, just to make sure. Or Roman Catholics, they say, yes, give glory to Jesus. But don't forget about glory to Mary as well and, and glory to the other saints. No. See Jesus' unique glory here. The glory that makes everyone else pale in comparison. The glory of Jesus that's revealed in power through his death, through his resurrection and ascension. The glory of Jesus that'll be seen when he comes again. Well, Peter doesn't quite yet see this unique glory of Jesus. He sees three people worth putting up a shelter for. And you might notice that he doesn't actually get a response from Jesus, whether he should put up these shelters or not. Someone in my Bible study group said, he hasn't even got materials for these shelters. And Jesus chose not to answer. But the answer Peter gets is an unforgettable one. It's an answer from God himself. And so now as we come to verses 34 to 36, friends, see the glory of God's chosen one. Read, read with me that verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone what they had seen. Well, here's another very clear presence of God moment, and not just with the voice of God, but with the cloud also. And if you were an Israelite, again, you would know that this cloud, this, this kind of vision here, this moment, it's another way that God revealed himself to people on earth throughout the Old Testament. It's the way that he, uh, that he showed his, his presence. You'd think, you'd think the cloud that guided the Israelites out of Egypt, you'd think the cloud that passed by Moses as God hid him in the rock face. You'd think the cloud that descended and, and came to rest upon the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, so that, God, so that God's presence was there and Moses couldn't go in anymore. You'd think this same presence, this same cloud that came to dwell in Solomon's temple, this same cloud of God's glory that Ezekiel saw rise and leave the temple 600 years before this point, because Israel had wandered away from God. Well, here is this cloud. The disciples are being shown the same glory of God coming now down to rest on Jesus. Making a big statement. This is God 
dwelling amongst men. But that's not all. We hear the voice as well. The voice of God himself here. And it echoes the words that the Lord had said back in chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism too. Verse 35, God says here, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Well, do you remember back at the start when I said that Moses pointed forward to God's final prophet who would, who, who would raise up someone to speak the very words of God? Well, listen to what Moses wrote. Back there, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise after you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. And then he says, you must listen to him. What did God just say about Jesus in Luke 9? This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Do you see that connection there? Well, once God speaks, uh, the whole scene dissolves. No more prophets, no more shiny clothes, nothing left to distract us from the one who we're meant to be focusing on, the one who we're meant to be drawn towards in this scene. It's only Jesus left. This is the very Son of God. God himself coming to dwell with men. And when you see God, on the, when you see Jesus, I should say, on the pages of Scripture, you're seeing someone with the full glory of the Father, the full glory of God. Take that in. Just take that in. Now, friends, we can't have a little view of Jesus. Uh, you can't take him lightly. For when we peel away at Jesus, we find the full glory of God. And God says, Listen to him. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Open up a Bible for yourself. Read through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, and hear what Jesus is saying to you. Well, as we, re as we read this, you might also be wondering, what does it mean that Jesus was chosen? That's what God says there in verse 35. This is my son who I have chosen. Well, it doesn't mean that uh, God the Father chose an ordinary man to be his son. Jesus, Jesus is the eternal son. He was always there with the Father from, well, throughout eternity. Yet, uh, this eternal son enters history and takes on flesh. But as the eternal son, he was chosen for something. Chosen as the Messiah, the saviour of the world. The one who would, who would bridge the gap, the chasm between us and God. And make no mistake, there is a gaping chasm between us and God. And like Israel did when the presence of God left the temple and went away. We too all reject God as our ruler by running our lives our own way. The Bible's word for that is sin. And sinful people are incompatible with a perfect, holy God. A God who is not just loving, but also just. This is why Jesus was chosen. He was chosen as the one who would bridge that gap for us. Who would bring forgiveness of our sins. And he does that by taking, 
what our rejection of God justly deserves. His life in our place. Only the life of one who has all the glory of God himself could possibly take on all our sins on our behalf. And that's what he does. As Jesus is led off to die, well, this isn't a weak Jesus. No, he's not any less God. If you're watching on and you're trying to work out who Jesus is, you've picked a great week to join us. Because here, God gives us a sneak peek into the full, divine glory of his son, Jesus. The one who, despite his divine glory, died for us so that we can have life. This is someone worth putting your faith in. Now, if you have accepted Jesus, friends, don't forget the divine glory that's his, that belongs to the son, that belongs to Jesus. The glory of God that's That'll be seen by everyone when he returns. And when it comes down to it, who is Jesus, really? Well, Jesus, he's not just a man. He's not just one among many prophets. And Jesus is the eternal son of the father to whom belongs all the glory of God. Now, fortunately for Peter and the others there, this truth didn't escape them forever. As Peter writes his second letter, we can see it in in 2 Peter chapter 1. He's able to look back on this event. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, he's able to say, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus. But there on the mountain, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For us, today, the veneer has been peeled back, uh, the bonnet has been opened, and we get to look behind the curtains and see all the divine glory of our Saviour Jesus. The glory that will be on display for all to see on that final day when he returns. And friends, we look forward to that day and we say, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that on the pages of Scripture here, we see clearly uh, the glory of your Son, the glory that he shares with you. Father, help us never to forget that. Help us always as we look at the pages of Scripture and see Jesus to see one who has all your glory. Father, in our lives, may you be glorified. May we live for you. May we trust in you, the one who came down to us, the one who came to bridge that chasm. Father, help us to live for you now as we go out. Amen. Well, friends, now we come to a time of praise. Sin is made clear and yet
Well, we come now to a time of prayer. Uh, in a moment, there's going to be a blue screen that comes up. Uh, there'll be some prayer points on there. Uh, feel free to pause the video. In fact, I encourage you to pause the video. Uh, take a moment and be praying for the things of your own life, uh, the things of our church and the things that are going on in the world around us. And there's plenty of those. Uh, after that, we're going to have another time of praise. And at the very end, there'll be a slide that comes up. Friends, if you uh, love the Lord Jesus, if you want to worship him with all your life, with your mouths, with your hands, 
uh, and with your wallets. Here's a, t here's a chance we have to support the ministry uh, that we do here at St. Augustine's Friends. Uh, if you'd like to support our ministry uh, by giving financially, uh, we'd love for you to, to do that and partner with us in the gospel in that way. Uh, friends, let's have a time of prayer and praise. hear these encouraging words as we go out together. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, 
power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen.